0: Welcome to 4D. Deep dive
1: into degenerative diseases.
0: Gaining insights through casual
1: and amusing clinical conversations.
0: Welcome to 4D, a podcast brought to you by the ANPT Degenerative Diseases Special Interest Group. I'm Parm Paget, a physical therapist, and I serve as Secretary of the DD SIG. I'm here today with Julie Hirschberg, and we're very excited to have a conversation about physical therapy and neurophysical therapy and how to do it in a private practice setting. And I'm going to let Julie um, spend a minute or two just introducing herself. So Julie, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah,
1: thank you for having me and thanks for having this podcast. So I am a neuro PT, like you all, and I founded and run reactive physical therapy and wellness, which is outpatient private practice. We have two locations in the Los Angeles area, and we do therapy, um, all neurologic, with PT, OT. We also do yoga therapy, one of my personal favorites. And fitness, so we have personal trainers that have been specialized in neurologic disorders as well, and they do one-on-one training and group classes, and we largely have a population that is with degenerative diseases. Um, So movement disorders make up a large part of that, and multiple sclerosis. And then as part of Reactive, I started and I direct the Schmidt Movement Disorder Fellowship Program. And that is something I'd love to talk about more, of course, but um, right now it's the only neuro-based fellowship program around. And we're working on getting it um, accredited, but it's something I'm pretty passionate about. I love learning with my team and growing with them, diving into movement disorders pretty I also love doing that with PT students, so I teach. I'm an instructor at the University of Southern California, where I get to teach neuropathology, so get like really deep into the brain and all that fun stuff. So I kind of like to geek out on that. So that's me, aside from the fact that I'm also a mom and a wife and an adopter of dogs, um, which is really what's taking up most of my time at the moment.
0: Great. I I like to stay pretty active. Yeah, that's great. Good. Well, I'm glad. I mean, I knew you would bring up the fellowship and I'm glad you did because that was one of the things that we wanted to talk to you about because like you said, it's the only neuro-based fellowship. And so, you know, we're just sort of curious, maybe tell us a little bit about the genesis of um, that program, how it came to be. Is it accredited? Like how does all of that work?
1: Yes. Yeah. Gosh, there's a lot just in that great question. So, um, the fellowship started very organically reactive was in, we were in our second year of being open and, um, I, I had been residency trained and really was desiring to kind of keep growing and keep learning more. And I partnered with UCLA so our practice is not too far from UCLA and they have this really wonderful movement disorders team and I had stayed in contact with the director of that um, as when I did my residency at U.S.P. he was doing his movement disorder fellowship there as well so we stayed in contact and decided we really wanted to do something a little bit more to keep growing physical therapy, knowledge, and movement disorders. At the same time, one of our shared clients um, who has graciously allowed us to name the fellowship after him was Dick Schmidt, who um, was really like this father of motor control, motor learning, like most undergrad motor control textbooks are his, the Schmidt and Lee textbook. Um, He was one of my patients. And um, a very, very dear patient, because it was like a patient and teacher mentor at the same time, he had corticobasal degeneration. And we um, actually lost him a a couple of years ago. Um, He died from complications from that. But before he, died, he and I talked a lot about furthering physical therapy knowledge in the field of movement disorders, because he felt very fortunate to have a team that really understood his diagnosis. And um, that was part of the inspiration for having the fellowship. So between UCLA and having a really great movement disorder doctor, having um, a patient advocate who also was this forever learner, mentor, advocate of research, Um, we, um, we started putting together the fellowship. Now, Reactive started sharing space when this is how our clinic started. We shared space with Chris Powers, who's really big in the patellofemoral pain, orthopedic world, Um, a researcher, professor at USC as well. And I I, um, shared space with him to start our practice. He also had a fellowship program, a biomechanics fellowship. Um, And he was a huge encourager of us to go, yes, like this is such a specialty, so needed. You need to do this. But it didn't exist as you know, in the neuro world. And so there wasn't precedent for it. So we really hadn't had to start with nothing. Well, it turns out, of course, there's amazing, great minds in the PT world that really wanted, to, wanted the same thing and have a movement disorder fellowship. So there's a huge group of people across the country, so all sides of the coast and in the middle, um, who were interested in starting this as well, some big leaders in um, movement disorders. So Terry Ellis and Clues, um, a lot of groups from different universities who also want to start these fellowships. And so we had a group of us come together to apply to get this recognized as a fellowship. We're not, this has been, I think, four years in the making to get this done and it's still not done. So it's quite an extensive process to get feedback from our peers about it, um, to really study and set up the, um, the description of specialty practice to to say, this is actually a specialty. Mm -hmm. So we are very, very close to that. And then I can actually apply with our fellowship for accreditation, but first it has to be recognized as a specialty. So that, that's like a lot of process stuff. Um, but we've been doing it anyway. Yeah. So we, we just said, you know what? Like this is a need. We really want to do this. We have the resources, we have the collaborators and let, you know and the, pa- the passion really to do this. So let's just start. Um, and so we took a lot of our organizational pieces and, and provided those to our larger group to get our um, description of specialty practice started
0: great so how many people like you have one per year right now one fellow per yeah. year and how many people have gone through the program
1: so we're in our fourth year so we have three graduates of the program and then so we're on the fourth year of it um, they start in january and go for a whole year and um, it's basically structured like like some of the advanced orthopedic-based fellowship. So we did a ton of research in this area. It's structured with mentorship, with a lot of learning. Research is a part of it. And we do that combined with UCLA and some of the research studies that we have going on. And um, a lot of deep dives into all areas of movement disorders. So Parkinson's is a big piece of that. But Huntington's disease, so we have a current research trial with Huntington's that our fellow is a part of. Um, dystonia is a big piece functional movement disorders are a big piece um, and ataxia and cerebellar disorders
0: Mm -hmm. neat well it seems like a very exciting uh, type of program and you know i'm curious to see if others of these will pop up around the country hopefully you guys will be a model that other other places and people can adopt and maybe even in other areas i mean you know movement disorders is sort of an easy one to wrap our brains around in terms of like a specific set but i think we can really look to our colleagues in other areas to see even other areas where where a neuro specialty like that a fellowship type thing might make sense yeah i agree
1: i absolutely think these are going to pop up really quickly you know i think it's harder honestly from a private practice standpoint to make this happen and a lot of universities are very Interested they're a core part of the group of us that have been advocating for it So I think I don't want to say it's gonna be easy for anybody But I think they already have like the resources and certainly the expertise and I'm really excited Because I think it's a huge need in many areas of neuro to be honest, you know I think there should be a stroke fellowship. Yeah Um, right, so um, I'm excited to see that move forward. You know, every single joint in the body has its own fellowship. So I think different specialties in neurologic therapy really deserve that as well.
0: Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you just look at our special interest groups, that alone could be, you know, fellowships within those. Like we've already sort of decided where some of those, you know, specialties lie. Right. Um, Right. So, how much research do the fellows do in that one year? Cause it's just one year. Yeah.
1: It's only one year, right? So it's, it's taken on many different forms. So this year, the, the fellow actually has a very unique opportunity to be a part of a clinical trial that we that we're a part of here. So we're part of a multi-site trial for a, exercise and physical activity intervention in Huntington's and this is um based out of um, columbia lori quinn's group and cardiff university in europe so we're one of several sites across the international sites and so our fellow gets to be uh, do both evaluations and interventions for that trial which is a very unique opportunity we don't we haven't always had an ongoing clinical trial in in our practice so she's doing that however in addition to that what she has been really passionate about is working with people who are newly diagnosed with Parkinson's and we've had a program it happened to get funded this year so just in time for her to do this but she's going to be collecting data on um, people who are participating in a newly diagnosed program that was funded by the Parkinson's Foundation. So she actually has a little baby project where she will have data pre and post and likely some of the post data is going to extend beyond the fellowship.
0: Right. Um, and, and that's so common. Right, I was gonna say it's probably likely that people are getting involved with those kinds of projects with you, but then kind of when they move on, staying involved in those projects because they started them and, you know, obviously very driven and have an interest. Right. Yeah.
1: So in the past, our therapists have been involved. We've done a, um, a couple of dystonia projects with UCLA that have been ongoing. So it's been nice to kind of hop into something and then they've been able to help collect data help move that project along and then pull out a piece of it for either a presentation at CSM, publication, all of those things. So we've actually had Every fellow has had a poster um, at CSM, or at um, they actually had one at a functional movement disorder conference, and one more at a um, at a medical conference. It wasn't a PT conference at all. Um, so that's been kind of neat to get that more like interdisciplinary piece out there about like, hey, there's neuroPT, and hey, we can specialize in movement disorders.
0: Yeah, that's cool. And so what are these fellows doing now, the ones that have graduated? Are they mostly research or in specialty clinics or what are they up to? Yes, in um, in specialty clinics, I should say, because two of them are with us still.
1: (laughs) So our first two fellows have stayed on with us and really have been able to then lead and be key mentors in the fellowship. So that's just been a part of the evolution and growth of Reactive. Um, and then our fellow from last year actually moved out closer to you all. And she is in an inpatient and outpatient role in a neuro practice um, as well. So um, the idea is that we're spreading the love. I'm not trying to hoard all of our fellows, but it's just been the nature of our practice has just grown so fast that they've been able to stay um, with us and become clinic directors and things like that, which has been really awesome.
0: Neat. Um, and sort of along the vein of the practice, I'm definitely curious about a private neuro practice, sort of how that started, what your evolution has been. It does seem like from looking at your website, it does seem like you have a lot of people involved and in working with you and a lot of different programs. And so how long ago did you start that practice?
1: So we started in 2012 and I hinted at, you know, sharing the space with Chris Powers. So um, he had this large research clinic space that um, he was using a couple of days a week. And I took a con ed course on him because I wanted to brush up on some of my ortho skills. And I had a patient at that time and I asked him if I could just rent rent his space for an hour to see a patient and then maybe a few more. That was literally how casually it started. And that was great to have that flexibility. So I was, you know, I was coming off of having two babies at home and um, trying to find some flexibility in my schedule. I was teaching at USC and thought, okay, well, I'll try seeing a couple private patients, which I think is sometimes a lot of us start things, something on the side and it really was on the side and it just grew very quickly um neuro private practice like you said isn't very common and it's not for as big as la is that you know my colleague has a practice in long beach and that which in this area is pretty far um good friend of mine and that's like the next closest place to find this kind of specialty So um, it grew really fast Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and we hired our first person within six months and um, grew and grew and grew until last year we really had to move out of that shared space that we were taking over with eight therapists and these exercise classes and all of that stuff. And we have a great relationship with them, but I didn't want to spoil that by growing more. So we split and opened, we went from one location kind of in a central area near LAS and split into two locations um to also improve access to care Mm -hmm. we were drawing people from pretty far and i'm a firm believer in
0: not sitting in the car for a long time yeah well and in la it's kind of what you do (laughs)
1: yeah so so yeah that's where we've evolved from like a patient to we see about um we see about 500 visits per month now. Wow. That's great. Yeah, it's really awesome.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an accomplishment. I would be curious about how many other practices like that exist around the country. Um, I just feel like a lot of neuro based clinics are really hospital based clinics. So I think it's an, an, it's interesting and it's interesting in a variety of ways. Like, did you, when you started out, were you taking insurance or were you private pay with those first couple of just your own clients? When did you get into the insurance gig?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, a, that's a great question because my, the first patient I had did not have Medicare with private Pay. I like had no idea whatsoever what I was doing. I and mean, I don't advocate for that for anybody, but that was, I was just like, I'm just going to see a patient and I'm going to write my notes. And, and then as it grew, and we had actually one of the first people that approached me was Dick Schmidt, my colleague at USC, said, Oh my gosh, he's coming and driving to me at USC. It's so far. You're closer to him. He has Medicare. And I was like, oh, I I don't know. I don't know how to take Medicare. Like, let me figure that out. And I'm a little bit, probably too much of a do-it-yourselfer. So I figured out how to enroll in Medicare. I figured out how to bill it, um, which is a nightmare. But I was like, let me figure it out. Because I really wanted to work with him and help him. And I also am like super like rule follower. My understanding of Medicare was like, you can't charge them cash when they have medicare and it's medically covered and it's really tricky we, we don't have to go down that road but i was like i can't do it i can't see him for cash i have to charge him let me figure it out so you know i asked a lot of friends and colleagues who um had done it and got advice and figured it out and enrolled in medicare um had eventually got somebody to help me with billing so i wasn't sitting at home getting my kids to bed and doing billing on my own and things like that Um, but really like really really started like doing everything on my own which i don't advocate for but that's just my personality of i like to know and understand and figure stuff out so i got so we like very quickly started taking medicare however we did not get in contract with other insurance companies and this was This was like, thank goodness for wonderful colleagues. So to your question too about other neuro practices, there are a few, but gosh, I feel like there should be more. Um, So my friend owns a practice. She's had it for a while. Um, She also teaches with me at USC. It's a neuro-based practice in Long Beach, not far from me. And she said, okay, like we're struggling with our contracts. They keep decreasing our payment. We can't afford to, you know, we can't really afford it. It's They pay us less than we can pay our therapist. And I was like, oh, I don't want that. I want to be able to pay my therapist well. I don't want the insurance to dictate that we have a 20 minute appointment. Like these are patients that need an hour. So I just never signed up for any contracts. And, and so we're out of network with insurances which can be a major barrier for people totally like understand that, but it allows us to practice um, how we want. And as a small provider, we can't negotiate contracts like hospitals can. Right, which is Why I think you see neuro practice in hospital-based settings um, because they can and they have the ability to do that. Um, and we've won a few battles. Like we've got, Something things covered for people before when they couldn't find a neurotherapist, but on a large scale, like we're not going to win over Blue Cross Blue Shield to pay us what we deserve. So yeah, that's the insurance part. It's tricky.
0: Yeah. And then there's a whole part of your organization there too, that does like education and offers, are they seminars or various other kinds of ways that to sort of, like you said earlier, spread the love. So tell us a little bit about that. Yes,
1: I love spreading the love. So, you know, that was born out of the fellowship. So we, as part of the fellowship, we developed these like pretty intense, like deep dives into different types of material related to movement disorders. And every six weeks, we did a full module within our clinic. So it was, like a mini, like a webinar, but in person, um, a lot of discussion and cases, and a lot of research going into those. And I just had people asking, "Hey, can I come to that?" We just said, "Yeah, everybody, come, just come." And you know, let's share this. Like, let's keep growing people's knowledge. And we got a lot of people asking about it. And so, just this past year, we said, "Well, let's open them up for people." So we open them up, we do them on Zoom, um, so that people can join. We've had people join from all over the world now um, to to join these, we call them mini courses, because they were, they're condensed versions down to a, like a little over an hour and a half. And people who are interested in kind of that particular specialty. So we just did one on Camp DeCormia in Parkinson, And, And people that are interested, like we just put it out there like, hey, join us. And it's recorded. You can see it forever. We include a lot of resources with it and handouts and articles and and stuff like that. And I love it for just that discussion, like that ability to kind of be in a little bit of a smaller group, discuss, problem solve a case, you know, together and Grow. like I feel like I'm growing a, like a ton with this. So we, we've been doing those online and then we've hosted weekend courses. So we have Mike Studer join us um, for a weekend course on dual task and motor learning. And that was, again, it's part of our fellowship, but it's really part of all of our growth. And then we're gonna host a weekend course on focal dystonia and CRPS which I'm really stoked about. Like that's just like, that's like some of my passion right there. So uh, we're going to host that in October. Um, But really like it was stuff we were doing internally and it was like, what, like we should share this. There's people are very interested and we want our patients to get like people who have some of these more rare disorders to have good resources from their PT and support people that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's also taking a page from some of our doctor colleagues, right? They do these kinds of case conferences and discussions fairly regularly, I think particularly to help some of the newer physicians to learn and you know whenever I've had the ability and the good fortune to participate in those it's it's really I mean, it's, it's a ton of learning and it's oftentimes these people with more experience that are just like giving you these nuggets that are like, you don't, don't get those nuggets anywhere else. And, uh, and I think it's, it's great to sort of incorporate that from, you know, taking a page from, from some of our colleagues and doing that. And, And then again, I think it's an example, like, I think you guys are serving as an example for a lot of the rest of us who are out here and you know we're in places where sometimes we're in geographically surrounded by other neuropt's i mean there's no reason to not try to incorporate and do some of this stuff mm-hmm. so yeah. i think it's great
1: we learn so much from each other right i just think that's the the nature of pt in general but i think neuropt's really love to problem solve and go, well, what about this? And like, what have you done here or or here? And, um, you know, there's a big part of this that comes from like teaching in the DPT curriculum Mm -hmm. and then mentoring our own like new clinicians and then hearing from my former students, Hey, like, what do I do in this case? And they'll send me videos. What do I do here? What do I do here? So it's been fun to reconnect with, with people that way and go, Hey, like, here's some resources. Here's some Here's some cases that are just like that. And it, as reactive, we try to like share and like spread the neuro love and message all of the time. And I think in particularly for more rare diagnoses. So um, we, do, I, we do a Facebook live every single week now. And it's become like my, one of my favorite little things. Sometimes it's 15 to 30 minutes. And trying to dive into for for other therapists, but maybe also for for people in general, a more rare diseases like the functional movement disorders, uh, dystonia.
0: What other social media stuff do you guys do? Are you like and um, all that stuff too, or
1: yeah? So you know, it's funny because I don't like social media personally, like for personal. Reasons, But I really love it professionally. So we, we do a lot of stuff there on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Now, Twitter is especially fun because I have my students um, do a project or a tweet every week on Twitter. So that has been super fun and a nice way to kind of get out the message of this understanding that we have as neuro-PTs of different diagnoses. So that gets me on Twitter a lot. But Twitter is phenomenal, in my opinion, for like, wow, people are just like releasing their research, results, discussion about that all of the time. Much so more on Twitter than other pieces of social media. But um, I, I really enjoy that from like a, a learning and, and
0: interacting with other um, professionals. Great. Good. Huh. So um, do you like ever sleep?
1: I am the biggest sleeper in the world. Like I don't even function on less than eight hours of sleep. I love that. So, <laughs> I,
0: I just like, feel like you've got to, you've got to be so, it sounds <laughs> like you're so busy
1: with all this. Oh, no, you know, I, yourself. I mean, I, I am, I'm very passionate, but I also have like a huge team. I have so much help. I still like to take my kids to school and pick them up from school. And sometimes, like last night, they were trying out vestibular goggles with me after dinner because I had to try them out so that we could use them today. But I, you know, there's days that are long, but there's really short days where I get to watch my kids in musical theater and fun stuff like that. So it all, it all balances out. But honestly, like all of this stuff, like I don't do a fellowship by myself. I have a fellowship coordinator, even the education stuff online. I just hired one of our former volunteers to help me put that up there. So I wasn't like losing my precious sleep that I love, Um, putting things online. So not without a lot of help and, and and a great, great Team. It makes doing these kinds of things that, that we're all passionate about really easy.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I, I think that people definitely come together in the interest of our patients. And, um, you know, I haven't really come across anybody that I feel like isn't putting patients first. And, then, and, and with that passion and that drive can really, you can accomplish a lot in, in not a lot of time when you have a good team. Yeah, that
1: that is like one of my current passions is building that team and like help like building leaders of that team, Mm -hmm. you know, to have like I can't spend as much time focusing on this education if I'm also fixing the treadmill, you know, which actually my dad has been the best. At. So my dad has joined our team, um, but so we just brought in like another clinic director here, which has been amazing. But to be able to like mentor and grow our team in that way has allowed me to do more in the research realm or do more in the education and just kind of keep following some of these other passions of mine. Yeah,
0: it's so, cool. I'm Very really cool. And you know, the other thing that we wanted to ask you about was your um, early PD program.
1: Oh yes, that's our current like baby. Yeah, Yeah. so this is a program that I mentioned our current fellow has been working on, but it started literally before I even had my second patient uh, when I started reactive. So backtrack just a little bit when I was, um, working with Chris Powers, he he does a lot of biomechanical research using high-speed video analysis or um, movements to return to sport after ACL injury. So I had my, my like one patient and a lot of time with Chris Powers. So I hung out and did those evaluations with him, learned all the technology, learned to like really kind of fine-tune and analyze movements. Now this was in athletes, which I wasn't really interested in, to be honest. Uh, but I was like, oh my gosh, like we gotta do this in Parkinson's. Like if we did this, like we could really like hone into very little things that we could then change and prevent the future frozen shoulder the future back pain from not moving your your spine so doing this in early parkinson's so he was really my inspiration for it from a prevention standpoint and so we just got funding to actually do this for free for people who have just been diagnosed with parkinson's so a year of diet within a year of diagnosis They come in and do a very thorough movement analysis and assessment to pick up on very tiny pieces of movement and balance and cognition. So we screen other things as well that then we can prepare and work with a physical activity and exercise program to prevent future problems. So the program is funded for three sessions of physical therapy two personal training sessions group exercise classes and then we've prepared a workbook that essentially kind of goes through like a motivational interviewing technique with them to set goals identify barriers and really set up for a lifelong exercise plan um, for for people who are newly diagnosed so we've been doing this program here and there with people that we get referred but but now that's like okay we have a very specific program it's funded so it's free for people which i just think is amazing to be able to offer that we only have we only got funding for 20 people um but i'm hoping that it will really um take off and we'll be able to get more funding um through the parkinson's foundation for it um because it's been we've had seven people go through it so far and just phenomenal i mean i'm i can't show you before and after videos for HIPAA reasons right now but like from zero arm swing to like don't even don't even look like they have parkinson's after one session of therapy and these were people that would have never been referred for therapy because they weren't they weren't falling they didn't you know they didn't have pain it it, it's just phenomenal so our fellow is actually going to take the data from this program because we have the initial visit and then we're going to do a six-month follow-up with each of the participants mm-hmm. but i'm really really excited i know other people are getting in other places or are involved with people with early diagnoses but here it was a few and far between that we actually got referrals for people before they started having some pretty significant functional problems yeah so i'm excited about that idea
0: yeah, I mean, I know we work with our neurologists to try to get those uh, referrals early. And then I was actually recently at a case conference, and they were presenting a case of someone, and I was like, "Well, have you referred him for physical therapy?" And they're like, "No, he's moving pretty well." I'm like, "Yeah, maybe we should see him." Like, it's yeah that they don't always realize, and it and it's it it really is that um, you know I think once you start talking to people and to the refer to the people that are referring about things like mood and apathy and how that affects those those abilities to establish a habit. And if we can intervene, you know, as early as possible and make exercise a habit for people, it makes a huge difference.
1: Oh, huge, huge difference. So I mean that that would be like the ideal is that we're following people for like 20 years, right? So that we can see, does this make a difference? But baby steps, baby steps, I'm going to go for six months. And, you know, and then, you know, this is like a community funded grant. It's not a research grant or anything like that. So I think that would be one of the next steps, which would be pretty cool.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, I, I hope that there's more, and I'm sure since you're since you love spreading the love that you'll be sharing that info on that program and sort of the outcomes and what you find, you know, and certainly we would love to keep talking, you know, we're hoping that for these podcasts that we're getting people back and getting updates on what they're doing and hearing the latest and greatest. And I mean, you guys are right on the cutting edge. So I feel like, you know, you'd be perfect to, to keep in touch with. yeah, that'd be super fun. So thank you again for joining us this evening.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for doing the podcast and, and keeping people updated and informed and ex- excited.
0: Yeah, well, thank you. We're certainly having a good time. This podcast was produced by the ANPT Degenerative Diseases Special Interest Group. Subscribe to our newsletter on the ANPT website, neuropt.org, or check us out on Facebook. This episode was edited by Sarah Crandall and thanks to Jimmy McKay for providing music. So I definitely dropped the mic. (laughs) Sarah, did it come through? (laughs) Yes, it came through. I don't even know what I was doing. You're
1: like, okay, mom, (laughs) not again. I think I got to get my new puppy like doing a little vestibular exam or something. I think that'd be really fun.
0: That's yeah, nice. my dog, um, but we took her to the vet and they said she has vestibular disease or some kind of, and I'm like, what? Really? So I, when I stopped and looked in her eyes, she had nystagmus. I was like, Holy cow. And then I was like, wait, is this BPPV? Is it some kind of like neuritis? Like, what can we do? And the vet thought I was like nuts. And I'm asking him all these questions about like, is there any way to do positional testing in dogs? And he's like, what are you talking
1: about? I mean, aren't neuro the best